0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. In our last episode, I sat down with the Disney Pixar writer-director who spoke to how his real life fueled the inspiration behind his 2019 animated short film. In this episode, we speak to another filmmaker, one who is the brainchild behind an independent film intended to spark discussion around autism storytelling where the main characters aren't typical of what audiences have seen before. Natasha Miner is the award-winning writer-director of the film In a Beat, a movie that showcases the dynamics between a mother and her autistic son. Award-winning actress and dancer Chloe Arnold plays a dancer who is juggling work and motherhood as a single mother. Her character leaves her son at night in order to pursue a -a once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity. This movie vividly displays the triumphs and challenges of this mother-son journey through rich, cinematography Daryl the son in the film is played by Cameron James Ellie the young boy who convinces his mom that he's able to stay home alone so that she can pursue that opportunity this movie vividly displays the triumphs and challenges of this mother-son journey through rich cinematography In 2020, Natasha won the Cannes Film Festival Young Directors Award in the mid-length film category for her work on this film. I sat down with her to discuss her thought process behind making this film, the considerations she made when making casting and personnel decisions that centered on neurodivergent talent, and what her ideas are for future films. She is quite passionate on what she refers to as films with a purpose. So, with that in mind, let's get started.
1: Natasha, welcome to the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a filmmaker?
2: I became a filmmaker, I guess, more unofficially when I was in college. I was originally a dancer, hence why there's so much dance in everything that I work on. And then during college, I realized that what I actually really loved more than movement itself was actually the storytelling elements in it. So I transitioned into the film department at NYU and from there I started learning a lot more about like traditional film structure and things like that and and then when I graduated I met a great cinematographer who introduced me to cameras and that was really the beginning because then we had to basically restart from scratch and do a rapid session on learning how to operate myself, how to do sound, how to all the all the different elements that make up a film and then over the last like 6 years I've been shooting commercials, music videos, documentaries, films, short films, whatever I can basically like get my hands on with all different types of talent from like Selena Gomez to kids to, you know, huge range of people. And, and that experience has definitely taught me a lot about not only working with different types of people, but all the different types of camera techniques and, you know, film language and things like that. So it's been a huge learning experience and I've, really feel like In a Beat, though, was kind of climactic for me because it felt like the first film that tested everything I learned over the past like decade and then put it all even the dance like all of it into one project so that that to me felt like the first culmination the final exam of <laughs> of many years of uh, of effort so that's
1: how we got here so, that it sounds like is that what inspired you to make In a like the culmination of all your past experiences?
2: I think it was a couple of things. I think I knew, so I had written In a Beat the first draft of it, like one year after I graduated from college, because um, I was chatting with my cousin who the film is based on. And we were talking about his interests and whether or not he might be interested in going into film and talking about editing and things like that. And I I just realized that there were a number of really interesting and impactful moments I had experienced with him that would be a really nice story. And it was actually this kind of conversation with him that was the first spawn of an idea of like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should do something about about him because his real life experience was one that involves music and one that was a very, like, it was a very cinematic moment in his own, in his life, you know, that particular real life moment kind of, you know, percolated in my mind over the next like four years as I kind of worked on other things and, and built the necessary skills to actually do something about that like idea that I had, you know, I would say it was both. It was like learning all of the tools, knowing I wanted to do something that involved dance and music for sure, because that's been such a huge part of my life. And then knowing I wanted to do something about my family, specifically about him and like his unique journey, because I think there's plenty of members of my family who have different skill sets, but uh, the thing I'm most interested in is empathy as a filmmaker. I really want to like analyze empathy in its many different forms, and I felt his empathy was the most misunderstood of anyone in my
1: family, and so I wanted to start there. Now, along those lines of empathy, there is a powerful point in your film that kind of diagrams the anatomy of a child's sensory meltdown during an enormously stressful event. Is the child actor in your film actually autistic because it was done so well I'm kids?
2: He is not. He is not actually autistic. We had quite the debate with me and the woman who was helping me produce This about how to go about that, whether to use someone who is actually autistic or whether that would be basically a form of forcing an underage, a minor to experience PTSD. Ultimately, we decided that we would explore both paths and then kind of see where where we were led. So we went we reached out to many organizations. We reached out to UCLA's Autism Center, we reached out to a bunch of different theater groups. In L.A., we were trying to keep it L.A. local because of our budget constraints. We couldn't really do like a national call. We had the money to go on Instagram and and look for things and, and email people and things like that. Right. So we didn't have the we didn't have the kind of budget to really, you know, look at every single person that I'm sure I'm sure nationally we could have found someone who I think my greatest concern, though, was the person being able to express their consent to be in something like that. And it's hard when the person's 11 years old to really like question whether or not they are actually giving their consent or not. Ultimately, we spent time on the internet really looking for someone because we got feedback from all the local autism organizations and theaters that we reached out to that they actually didn't have any children of color in their programs, specifically black young boys in their programs you know, maybe they had some that were teenagers, but they didn't have anybody in our age bracket we were looking for. And so I actually found that itself to be really telling as well, because to me, this, this film was just as much as it was about autism. It was about Black community and the Black experience with autism. It was an interesting topic to go into because I myself am not a part of either of those communities in my own body. But through my family and through adoption, I have experiences in both those communities. And It was just the many different ethical questions that came in kind of a a confluence in this moment that ended up landing us on going on Instagram and finding a young boy who was a tone of character that I felt really matched my cousin, which I ultimately decided was the most important. I felt the most important thing was to match him as authentically as I possibly could rather than try to invest money in finding and putting out an international
1: now, did you have any actually autistic members of your production team or neurodivergent?
2: Yeah, so we did have behind the camera some members who were neurodivergent and we had a very diverse set of counselors on our team. We had a lot of people on set, one who was actually autistic, one who was my aunt, the mother of my cousin was there the whole time we were shooting and as well as researchers actually who were there giving us advice from the script all the way through to the end of the how we distributed it which we realized is also actually a really interesting and challenging point just as much as how you make it how you share it with people also really matters so yeah we tried to keep actually autistic voices in as many of the steps as possible as well as like diverse members of the autism community in general
1: how do you feel that this diversity of um Well, this neurodiversity aided in helping you to tell the story. We are confined
2: by our own two eyes, right? Like we can experience as much empathy and sympathy and every emotion as we can, but ultimately we are chained to our own bodies. So to me, it was really important to have other people have very present and loud voices in the articulation of how this would, you know, be portrayed it's hard as a, as like in the film industry, they really like to like focus on certain terms. And if you're trying to build a career to get, you know, to make feature length films or to get funding and things like that, you need to kind of pick a title. Like I'm a director or I'm a something like that. Right. Which I think for a lot of people feels a little bit contrived, but ultimately what we decided is we put it, we put titles on everyone else's role, cinematographer, things like that. And then we all came together. And I tried to really create an environment where, even people who were counselors or consultants were as vocal as they could be on the set without interrupting the actor's experience, right? Like allowing them to stop just as much as I would stop anyone and say, hey, that's just not an authentic way to bite your shirt. Or that is not how I would you know, say this as this person's mother or X, Y, and Z. You know, like I really tried to let people jump in and try not to be the only person who's dictating when things start and stop. And I think people were really respectful of that dynamic, which allowed the actors to feel like they could talk to anyone in the room. And then it really kind of created this, I don't know how else to describe it other than this like familial, but kind of like group dynamic of people really balancing one another and sharing their ideas. And it made for a space where I think we got what we were really hoping for, which was a, which was a room of people who were all there most importantly to portray something authentically.
1: Now, dance, you kind of touched upon it earlier that you're a former dancer, although I don't know if the term former and dancer together is accurate. I almost feel like once you're a dancer, you're always a dancer. Sure. Well, so let's, well, let's just move with the former dancer for now. <laughs> dance plays such a prominent role in this film. I feel like it is a main character. You being a quote former dancer. I know that it sounds like at least that that is why it plays such a prominent role. But even with that in mind, why did you decide to make that artistic decision?
2: So to clarify the former dancer, it's because I think people who dance professionally, there's usually a a point when they stop dancing professionally like for for pay. So that was what I stopped doing. Now I just dance to feel good you know (laughs) I think it's a little different my background in dance including tap meant that I had an awareness of Chloe Arnold who was in the film and she one of the most powerful and incredible female dancers alive you know especially tap, tap dancers and she's also one of the most famous female tap dancers in history there's really only been a handful of female tap dancers that have been very well known and on top of that she's one of two or three female black top dancers that are really well known. And she is such a huge voice in the community for women, for people of color, for so many different issues that she is a loud supporter of that. I, I knew right away that she was basically the greatest effort to try and get her to be in the film because she's such a talent, kind, amazing person who I've known about since I was a dancer. So, so it was important to me that she was in it. And so she brought a lot, I'd say as as much dance as I hope springs to bring to the film from my own experience, she brought ten times that, right? Like she I knew, for instance, that I wanted dance to be the beat of the film, like the pulse of the film, because to me, so my cousin's experience the first time that he self-soothed his own meltdown was was not um a tap shoe as it is in the film that spoiler sorry (laughs) but uh but was actually pots he was using he had been experiencing different types of music therapy throughout his life and he found that his stimming and his kind of soothing pattern was through hitting pots and hitting different types of you know kitchen utensils and the many different sounds that they make and spinning them and all of these different patterns he could come up with and and so when he was little that was like I think he was about ten or eleven when when he did that, and um, his mom walked in, and I wasn't present for this, but his mom told me the story, and it was a uh, he was just spinning them repeatedly, and just turns around and just completely smiling at her, and he, she saw all the signs that left him at home, and so she knew that this was the first time she'd left him at home for a period of I think only a couple of hours, which was obviously incredibly full of anxiety for her. But she comes back and she finds him with the remnants of clearly having a meltdown and, you know, the tear stains on his cheeks and all of those kinds of signs. But yet when he turns around to look at her, he's just brimming with happiness because he has, he was so, and he articulated how proud he was of finding a way to um, find peace in himself. And also this kind of pride that came with knowing that he's going to be fine on his own. You know, there was just this like really beautiful moment there. So I knew it had to be about that and it had to be about music. And dance. So then to swing all the way back to it, I think your initial question of why dance is so important is just as much as I wanted to show empathy in the film, I wanted to show how there's so many different types of communication that exist. Because even though this film was about a high functioning, um, autistic child, I do think that there's so many members of you know the community who are nonverbal, for instance, and who express themselves through dance. Like I'm a follower of many different Instagram accounts of of children who play drums or who play through tap or who do any of these, all of these different sorts of beautiful musical uh, demonstrations of their passion. And I felt like that was another really important thing to, to show in the film is that we don't have to constrain ourselves to see communication in words only. You know, we can allow ourselves to see communication in music and in touch and lack of touch, and all of the other things that, you know, make up a really, um, well, hopefully, try not to spoil the last scene, but make up that last scene.
1: <laughs> I think it also shows that you, your film, I know that actually the term high-functioning is being phased out. It's more maybe requiring appear to require minimal community support just because someone appears to be, quote-unquote, functioning on a level that is closer to what we all deem as neurotypical doesn't mean that they don't need uh, supports. And like you mentioned before, self-regulation, self-soothing. The empathy that you depict in your film through the visual arts is very, very effective. Now, through the artist's eyes, right? How did you hope, Your film would be perceived. And then could you share with us some of the feedback you've gotten on the film so far? Number one goal was to make
2: something authentic because I've seen, you know, there's a, I don't know if it's a fad or there's definitely a lot of shows right now depicting autism. There were two things that I thought a lot of them were missing. One, there was like a cartoonish portrayal in a lot of them that I found to be personally offensive. I don't know how others feel, but. I felt that way. And then secondarily, I felt there were a number of portrayals that even if they did try to portray it authentically, they hyper-dramatized it in a way that I felt like used story structure, like film structure, but it didn't, it was, it was like rather in service of film structure rather than in service of, of a naturalistic depiction. I think one of the things that was an interesting experience to learn as a filmmaker was by choosing to make this film naturalistically as much as I could, I had to slow down the pace of the film a lot, right? Like the scenes are longer. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of silence. I think that that makes the film inherently less commercial, which for a new filmmaker is, is a bit of a challenging thing to do, right? It's like, you have to make something that people will watch, (laughs) but you also have to make something that's real. And, So I ultimately chose that it was most important to me to stick with with the reality and the naturalism, even if it meant that it wouldn't get certain forms of like festival distribution or things like that that would make it commercially successful. So because of that, I chose to release it on YouTube because, one, I wanted it to be free. It was really important to me that the film was free. And then, two, I wanted the film to be able to reach the audience that of the, you know, the people that I had met through through the making of the film. So reaching like the different foundations I'd worked with and reaching the different moms and families and dads and everyone who I'd, you know, gotten support from and, and Mm -hmm. help from. So, yeah. So it became the more important to me to do that. But so then there, the response was interesting because of that, like it was from the autism community. The most incredible, heartwarming, immediately made me cry every time I think about it, like amount of support that I could have possibly hoped for. I mean, even if you go on the YouTube video now, we've never deleted a comment. It has like 200 and something, maybe more, I don't know, like comments from 100% positive of people saying how grateful they were to see something that was authentically portrayed. And then the most important thing to me was that ultimately this was the. First, that I had seen of a portrayal of a Black autistic person. And so it was, I was also incredibly happy to see that it reached many of like the color of autism, a series of different organizations that work on supporting autistic people of color. That was probably the most moving element to me is that there were so many different voices that came forward and expressed gratitude that we made it, that expressed support, and most importantly, that it shared with me new insights that I didn't realize about the film, <laughs> like things where people were saying, oh, I, I found this particularly, you know, meta- metaphorical or something. And I was like, well, that was not intended, but that's very interesting. And it now makes me think about autism differently or about film differently. And so I actually learned a lot from some of the emails and things that I got as well. So all in all, it was a very, very positive response, but commercially we've gotten a couple of really wonderful awards that I'm very proud of. Like we, we won, I won gold at the young director's award at con last year for it.
1: Looking back, having some time now after you've, you know, posted it to YouTube, reading all the comments, getting the type of feedback you've gotten, all the lessons you've learned. What do you think you've learned the most about this overall process. And is there anything you would do differently? Filmmaking-wise,
2: there's a lot of people who are very into being incredibly prepared, and that type of preparedness meant that we were ready to shoot that, which I'm proud of. But I think we were not as ready for how to release the film as maybe we could have been. A distribution for a new filmmaker is, is just is really, really hard, and I didn't have any of the connections like we're putting it on a, a brand new YouTube channel right it has no views no subscribers like it's just a just putting this thing out into the world it took a lot of of effort i think to go out and email people and you know luckily we got some really amazing like i don't know if you know Jennifer Masumba or any of these like she was a huge 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 person for me learning so much about How to distribute film, how to make films. She's like such an amazing creator, and we've become really good friends since this film because she actually helped us learn about about distribution. She has a huge following. She kind of not only did she share the film with her followers, but she she gave me some one-on-one coaching of like how she goes about releasing things and finding an audience and saying even like the marketing strategies she uses to make something feel approachable rather than feel because it's a, i mean it's a 30 minute naturalistic somewhat slow film i think like a lot of people might start the first like few minutes and be like ah, i don't i don't have time for this i want to go watch like a comedy or something you know it's something that i think can bring someone a lot of joy if they get all the way to the end but is i understand why some people would be initially maybe turned off so i'd say the marketing and the distribution and just generally how to how to take something that is maybe more of an art piece And help have it find an audience
1: what's on the horizon are there any more projects with similarly situated characters
2: i'm so i'm very interested in science communication as a filmmaker i think that's like over the course of making this film i really realized that that's where i want to go it was so it was interesting to speak with such a diverse population of people and try to bring together so many of these, like, intersectional ideas and, like, find a story place for them to exist. That was probably the the most interesting challenge that I did definitely learn from. as For the next piece I'm working on, I want to continue that type of intersectional challenges. I don't know exactly what the term would be for that, but but taking a, a topic, especially one that's embedded in some capacity in either psychology or science, finding a series of different kind of angles and perspectives and interviewing lots of different people and finding kind of a community that can help put together an idea about how to represent something and then me take all that information go aside and kind of distill it into a into a storyline I'm working on one about narcissism I'm, I've been meeting with a series of different psychologists in, who specialize in narcissism and working with them and hearing more about how diverse it's a it's a spectrum disorder narcissism personality disorder is diversity is something that's really hard to portray again and so i'm not sure (laughs) i haven't quite cracked this one yet but that's the that's the next goal is to make a feature-length version of something about that topic because there's so many women i know who are affected by um, narcissistic partners that i'm very very interested in a story about women on this next one that's really focused on some female lead who kind of finds her, finds her way through a pretty tough situation.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. If you're interested in how this podcast came to be, check out our website at notyourmamasautism.com. Follow us on Instagram at notyourmamasautism or check out our origin story by listening to season one of this podcast on any major podcast platform also please feel free to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts in our next episode again focusing on representation in media and film we speak with the sister filmmaking team who is in the casting phase of their film production process I speak to them about their reasons to focus on a neurodivergent storyline and much more. See you soon.
1: Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Lila Dada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fela Ali. My dad, little sister Alero, and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosin Ali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Bolane Williams
0: Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.